Today, as we celebrate this great solemnity of the Most Holy Eucharist, the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ, the Church gives us tremendously rich scripture readings. They're deeply Eucharistic, and they tie together the mystery from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant in Jesus Christ, the Old Testament into the New Testament, and then from the New Testament even here to our celebration of Mass today. So let's dive in. The first reading from the Old Testament comes from the book of Exodus. And it's both quite profound and also quite gross, frankly. Moses and the people of Israel are sitting at the foot of the mountain. The people of Israel have been unfaithful to God and his commands. And it's fitting that he has them sacrifice young bulls, calves, golden calf ringing a bell. Their infidelity is sacrificed, saying, no longer Egypt, O God, but rather you. And then it gets weird. They save all of the blood from the bulls which are sacrificed in large bowls. Half of that blood they pour out upon the altar of sacrifice. The altar represents God's side of the covenant, God's side of the bargain. And the other half of the blood they take and they sprinkle on the people. I'm glad that the New Testament covenant has different forms of worship for us today. But the meaning behind this is profound and enlightens what we celebrate here today at Mass. This covenant made between God and his people is a sharing of blood. The covenant unites Israel and God into a bond of family. That's how covenants were made in the Old Testament. More so, the dead bulls sitting before Israel in the covenant is a reminder to them that image will be seared in their memory, the smell, the feel. Ugh. May that never happen to me because that's intense, that's gross, and that's a horrific death. But in the terms of a covenant, a pact made between God and Israel, they're also saying, if I am unfaithful to you, O God, and to this covenant, may I become like that bull. Whoa. The reality here is that this transforms Israel into another nation, into just some group of people, into a united people of God. Israel becomes the light to the nations so that they themselves, in God and by his power, might go out then, having been transformed, having been made the family of God, in order to then spread that light to the nations in time. 
As the people Israel then are led from the desert into the promised land, God establishes other forms of animal sacrifice. They have peace offerings like this one. For their infidelity, they draw back into a pact of peace with the Lord. They have sin offerings for the forgiveness of sin. They have full burnt holocausts, thanksgiving sacrifices, and sacrifices for purification. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives them the rules and the regulations and how the sacrifices are to be done. One of those that we're quite familiar with from our celebration of Holy Week, Holy Thursday, and maybe even from your own family celebrations of Seder meals or Passover meals, these types of things, is the Passover sacrifice. And as the Old Testament prepares us for the new, the gospel then from Mark is exactly that. The church gives us in her wisdom the connection. But it's a little bit strange. Because you would probably expect the bloody sacrifices of the first reading to be mirrored perfectly by the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But it's not the crucifixion. It's the Passover meal where Jesus takes bread and wine and flips reality on its head and changes everything for salvation history, for all of the Jews, and for all of humanity. And if we look at the reading from the gospel with the eyes of Jewish tradition, with the eyes of the setting of that time, we do see the foreshadowing of the bloody sacrifice of Christ. It came as an introduction, and it may have been passed over, kind of giving context to what's going on. But listen again to the first sentence from the gospel. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? The Passover is to be eaten. In Hebrew, the word is Pesach. This is where we get Paschal, Paschal mystery, the Paschal celebration of Easter. They're literally asking, Where do you want us to go to prepare a place for you to eat the sacrificed Passover lamb. We might be thinking too much the Christian Seder meal type thing. What kind of unleavened bread do you use? Wow. What kind of bitter herbs are you using in your lamb? No. They're not preparing it in that way. They're not just setting table. He sends them into the city to prepare the Passover lamb. And we know from the riches of Jewish history, one ancient text called the Pesachim, how to do the Passover sacrifice, and the Mishnah. They give us the context of Jesus' time for the Passover sacrifice. And we find, hidden within it, the perfect preparation for Jesus Christ upon the cross. When a family would present their sacrifice at the temple, the leader of the family or the group of homes that would share of the lamb would find a one-year-old unblemished male lamb and the bones would not be broken. And that man would present the lamb at the temple. And the Pesachim tells us that there were 30 priests in a chain, like a firefighting chain in the old days, passing pail after pail 
after pale. And the man of the family would present the sacrifice of the lamb, and it gets a little gory. He would slaughter the lamb, and the priest was there waiting to receive the sacrifice of the people. And in the priest's hands was a vessel to catch the blood. And the blood would be passed from one to the next to the next, and then poured out at the basin of the altar. The sacrifice from the family, through the hands of the priest, to God the Father. But it goes on yet further. At the temple, there were long wooden staves that were there prepared for these men in order to skin the lambs, that they might be stripped of their garments in a way. And Justin Martyr tells us in the first century that one would be placed through the lamb vertically and the second would be placed through the lamb horizontally. And then these men would process that very lamb back to their families to be roasted and eaten. Now imagine yourselves there for one second. When Jesus sends his disciples to prepare the Passover, he's not simply saying, go find a nice tablecloth. He's saying, ritually prepare for the feast. And to imagine then John and Peter coming back from the temple, processing with a crucified lamb and bringing it back to the feet of Jesus for their feast. That little sentence changes a whole lot. In what you may have heard more in the gospel, which changes a whole lot more, is when Jesus then changes the ritual and the liturgy itself. Now, if I were to do that, if I were to say, instead today, brothers and sisters, we're not going to do bread and wine, we're going to do, I don't know, hot dogs and beer. You would say, don't you dare. Who do you think you are? You cannot change what God has prescribed for 2,000 years. Father Daniel, you are insane. Do not change what is holy. Do not play with what is sacred. Yet Jesus, who is the author of life, who is the living word, who is the Lamb of God, changes everything. In this context, with the image seared into the minds of his disciples of crucified lambs being processed through the city, having feasted upon the lamb itself, Jesus then takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to his disciples and says words that will radically transform all of existence. No longer is it a lamb whose body is sacrificed. Jesus says, take this, all of you, eat it. This is my body. Take this, all of you, and drink. This is my blood of the covenant which will be poured out for you and for many. Body, blood, covenant poured out. The apostles would be sitting there going, what are you doing? You can't do this. Or they might be saying, what are you doing? 
Only you can do this. For we have come to believe that you are the Christ. And the Jews awaited the Savior to come. They knew that the Passover feast in itself was not enough. Even at Passover, they would only sing half of the psalms of praise, the Hallel, Psalm 116, which we just sang here, that they would have sung at the Passover feast. They would sing half of it because they knew it was not yet perfectly fulfilled. And Jesus comes and says, this is my body. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. As we look then at the letter to the Hebrews, the author is tying these together perfectly. He compares the Old Testament animal sacrifices with the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a heifer's ashes can sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh is cleaned, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to worship the living God. In other words, the Old Testament sacrifices did something. They cleansed people of defilement ritually. How much more then when our lips are wet with the blood of God? We no longer partake of our own family or individuality. We are brought deeper into the very family of God by becoming other Christs. Alter Christus. Little Christs. Christians. Because Jesus offers his blood through the eternal spirit to God the Father. From the book of Hebrews right there, that letter describes what we do right here every day and every Sunday and tells us this is what the Eucharist is. We often think the Eucharist is what I need to be holy. Why do you go to Mass? I go to receive the Eucharist so that I can be more holy. Yes, but that's not why we're here. We are here to offer our very selves, our body, our blood, through Jesus Christ, as he offered it once for all through the Spirit to the Father. There is only one sacrifice now, and we participate through it, in it, with it, every single time we celebrate the Mass. Just like with the Jewish people, when they came together before the mountain of God, they became one in the family of God. Unity amidst great diversity. In our world today, diversity is paraded as the greatest virtue and celebrated to the point that we actually celebrate feasts of diversity now. Every year, the same month, the same week, this month, diversity is celebrated ritually by human 
persons. But here's the catch. Diversity without the Eucharist, diversity without true unity in the body of Christ does not lead to unity. Diversity without Jesus leads to division. And we might think, let's celebrate diversity. Yes, even here, we have a motley crew of people, different desires, different loves, different ways of viewing the world, different ways of having family, living life. Yet all are one in Christ Jesus. The culture seeks to bring about unity through mere effort of proclaiming it. To the point where some things actually sound ridiculous, like, oh, I, I'm so united, I don't even see race. And it's like, well, do you not look at people? I'm not saying that this is preaching about race. Paul himself says, all persons are one in Christ. There is no longer Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female because all are one in Christ. So indeed, we should say, yes, I don't see race, because when I look at you, I see Jesus Christ. But without him, it's just when I look at you, duh, person. I don't know what I see. I don't know what your nature is. I don't know who you are. And when that diversity is left without the unity of Jesus Christ, it falls into division. And from division comes loneliness, separation, anxiety, fear. Am I good enough? The culture cannot invent unity. Ushers cannot invent unity. Sometimes parish councils come together and say, we need better ushers to welcome people into the church. Then we'll have unity. That's nice. That's great. Do it. If you do not have unity from the body of Jesus Christ, you will not have unity in your life. Jesus Christ is lifted up upon the cross and he draws all things to himself. Greek, Jew, slave or free, man and woman. All are one in the Eucharist. Dear brothers and sisters, not only should we hunger for the Eucharist, if you find a vision in your own soul, in your own body, in your own blood, in your own family, because of sin, because of humanity, because of the world. Unity can only be found through him, with him, and in him. If you experience division in our culture, unity can only be found through him, with him, and in him. Everything else is pure human effort which will not last. So let's get practical. That's nice, Father. Old Testament, lambs, okay. What about my life today? Call to mind the place that you feel division. Call to mind the place within your own soul or family that you feel isolated, darkness, pain. And as you walk forward to receive the body and blood of God, who is perfectly one, 
make a deep invitation. Jesus Christ, by the unity of your humanity and divinity, by your body, blood, soul, and divinity, transform me. Forgive me my sins. Make me whole. In the diversity of your being, Jesus brings the unity that only he can bring. Just like the father of the family at the temple would present the sacrifice for his family, present your own sacrifices for your family and for your loved ones here at this altar. That at the hands of the priest, as he elevates the Eucharist to the father, your sacrifices might be given to him. Where did the blood go? That's a question. Gallons and gallons of gallons of blood, from thousands to some say hundreds of thousands of lambs sacrificed at Passover every year. This gets a little bit architectural, but the blood would flow into a drain at the foot of the altar. And the priest's other job was to take large flagons of water to wash the blood then down under the temple through a series of tracks out the side of the temple flowing into the Kidron Valley. At the end of our gospel, Jesus and his apostles sing hymns and then go to the Mount of Olives. Having come from the place of the crucified lamb, now they descend into the valley and what is flowing from the side of the temple but blood and water. And Jesus then goes to sweat from his own pores blood and water. And then as Jesus is lifted up upon the cross, the eyes of the apostles are opened as his side is pierced and from the new temple flows forth for you, for me, and for the whole world, blood and water to cleanse us from our sins and baptism, to nourish us with the very body and blood of God. Jesus makes a bold change. And he does it in a way that nothing else can offer. So where you find division in yourself, in your family, in your job, in your culture, in the world today, draw yourself, draw your family, draw the world to this altar. Bring them forth saying, yes, diversity and unity is what we're all about. But true unity. My dear brothers and sisters, there is no other place to go. For me, for you, and for the world. As we receive the Eucharist from this altar, from the hands of the priest, may our prayer be, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as you are one, as you are whole, make me one. Make me whole.